Welcome to Transformation Church RVA. This sermon is a part of our Elijah series. In this series, we take a look into the life of Elijah, one of the greatest prophets of the Old Testament, from God miraculously providing for Elijah in the wilderness to the Lord's emphatic display of consuming fire on the mountaintop. We see God use Elijah to exhort the people of Israel to return to him and abandon false gods. This series challenges us to put our trust in Christ alone and to serve and rely on him as bold witnesses of his mercy and goodness to our family, friends, neighbors, and to the ends of the earth. We are in week three. Everybody hold up three. We are in week three of the Elijah series, uh, and we will close this out next week. Um, And I I just want to give you a recap really quickly. Um, The very first time we meet Elijah, Israel is in a bad place, okay? Um, They have experienced 19 horrible kings, and I say horrible evil is what the Bible said. You ever met anybody you thought was evil? They weren't evil compared to these guys. And in fact, the king at the current time, Ahab, was considered the most evil of all the evil kings. And that, that spanned 200 years. And so God rose Jonah up, the Tishbite. And he came face to face with this king and he said, hey, listen, it's not going to rain here. This is a crushing blow to this kingdom. It's not going to rain unless I say it's going to rain. And, they, uh, and then God actually took him away and did some shaping inside of Elijah in a season all by himself, alone in the Kareth Ravine. And then he came upon this lady. We talked about the lady uh, with her son. They, they were getting ready to have their very last meal. And he asked her, hey, listen, I need you to make me a meal. And she said, I don't have enough. I'm, I'll tell you what we're about to do. My son and I are about to make our last meal and then we're going to die. This is the effect of this drought. And Elijah said, don't worry about it. Go ahead, make me some first. And then you'll be able to make yourself some. And what we found was that God continued to supply. What looked like it wasn't going to make it, made it. And this is the story. This is the God we serve. That when um, our life and our situations look completely depraved and like they're going nowhere, God can step in and make it happen. We see it, and he started that in Genesis. We, saw in, uh, we see in Genesis 1, 2, and 3 where God created the universe. It was, it was formless and without void, and what did he did? He filled the void. There is no empty space. There's no short amount that God can't work with. You see it all throughout the New Testament. All God needs is God, which is good news for you, which is good news for you. And so... We looked at Elijah, and then we saw that Elijah went before all the wicked idol worshipers at the time, all, their, all the, the uh, false idol uh, preachers, priests. They said, we're going to have a showdown between the two gods. I serve the one true God, 
Let's see what your God can do. And there's this show-off event where fire came down out of heaven. And the Lord, as he always does, proves himself to be the one true living God. Don't just fly by that phrase. God is not some inanimate, um, far away, unconnected God. He is alive and well and working. He is involved. He, he didn't just set the world in motion. He didn't just set your life in motion and just step away. No, you are in his hands. And all your kicking and screaming, you are still in his hands. So Elijah, trained up, he's seen God be faithful, he's been bold. And now the big showdown has happened. And, and I was going to skip over this, but I thought I would point it out. Because we ended last time in verse 39, uh, where everybody fell on the ground. God showed up. Everybody fell on the ground, and they said, the Lord, he is God. Okay? And that was the last verse we read. I was going to skip ahead to what we're talking about today, which is Elijah prays. Everybody say pray. There's an interesting verse here in between 39 and 41. Do you know what verse it is? I'm telling you guys, it's going to be a long Sunday. We only got one. Verse 40 says, then Elijah commanded. So, so everybody's bowed down, okay? And they have defeated Baal and all his prophets. And this is what the, the Bible says. Then Elijah commanded, seize all the prophets of Baal. Don't let a single one escape. So the people seized them all, and Elijah took them down to the Kishon Valley and killed them. I, I, there is no, I, I could preach probably a separate sermon on this, but I just want you to understand the seriousness with which God takes idol worship. There is a tendency in Christians' lives to, to worship things that aren't God, okay? And then when we realize that we're idol worshiping, we'll just try and white knuckle them and just control them, um, I just want to warn you today that it is not okay to just let sin fester and hang around. I think there's a serious problem in Christians' lives today where we take sin lightly. And specifically our own sin. And Elijah uh, took so seriously this idol worship that he had all of those prophets killed. Am I, what am I saying? Uh, am I saying you should go out and kill idol worshipers? No, I don't think that's what the text is saying. But what I am saying is that God has a zero tolerance policy for idol worship. This may not be okay to preach, but I'm telling you, God has a zero tolerance policy with sin. And some of you conduct yourselves as if, oh, well, it's not, as, it's not a big sin or it's, it's kind of light duty sin. And we kind of get sin some kind of scale. God has a zero, zero tolerance policy for sin. Okay, now we'll preach on today. Elijah prays. 
Um, let's read together. Uh, I'm going to start in 41, and there's going to there's going to be some text on the screen starting in 42 through 46. But in 41, First uh, Kings chapter 18, starting in verse 41, says, "Then Elijah said to Ahab, Go get something to eat and drink." If you underline in your Bible, underline this. For I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. Verse 42. So Ahab went to eat and drink. But Elijah climbed to the top of Mount Carmel and bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Then he said to his servant. Go and look out toward the sea. The servant went and looked, then returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. Finally, the seventh time, his servant told him, I saw a cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab and tell him, climb into your chariot and go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain will stop you. Verse 45, and soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked uh, tucked his cloak into his belt and ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. Yeah. Um, In some of your versions, it's going to say he bound up his loins, but I did this version because I didn't want to have to explain bound up loins. What I want to talk to you about today, let, let me take a poll. Let, let's get some audience engagement since this is the liveliest crew I've ever seen in this church. <laughs> Participation trophies given. Here we go. If we were on a game show, how many of you watch American Idol? Anybody? Okay, that's fine. Um, Maybe you're not American Idol folks. It, maybe it boiled out. Maybe you watch America's Got Talent. No. Do you watch any game shows at all? Do you have fun at all in your life? <laughs> How many of you are familiar with Simon Cowell on American Idol? Okay, you've heard of him. Really mean guy, right? Anyway, if you were standing before a group of judges, and the question asked of you was how engaged and fervent or passionate is your prayer life? If someone were to ask you this question and you had to give an answer, how passionate How consistent is your prayer life? Uh, Let's let's do it. Um, On a scale of one to 10, 10 being your Elijah, one being, I don't know, I don't want to bring up a name, so I'll just 
leave that alone. If you are a nine or a 10, go raise your hand. If you think your, your prayer life right now is a nine or a 10, you, you are fervent and passionate and consistent in your prayer life. Now I want you to look around the room. And here's why. There's no shame in this room. Your prayer life looks probably much like your neighbor's. And this is evidence that we all have something to work on. Right? Okay. How about a five or a six? Anybody a five or a six? We probably have a few five or sixes. Yeah, good, 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 good. How many of you are like, yo, bro, I am like a negative one? Yeah, okay, that's fine. At least we're honest. Some of y'all won't raise your hand. You're just embarrassed. It's okay. I want to look at Elijah's prayer today because um, there are some aspects of Elijah's prayer that he prays on Mount Carmel that I think will impact how we pray. And I think it's important we pray. Of the short life of Elijah in the scriptures, right here in 1 Kings, just a couple chapters, he does some pretty major things. And one of them was he said the rain's going to stop and it stopped. And then he goes back up to the mountain. What would seem victory has been achieved. And he prays a prayer. And there are some characteristics I want to look at here. Some qualities, four effective qualities, uh, four qualities of effective prayer. And the very first thing is this. Effective prayers. Everybody say effective. Effective prayers are humble prayers. If we look, Elijah, Ahab goes to eat and drink, but Elijah climbs to the mountain top of Mount Carmel, and he bowed low to the ground and prayed with his face between his knees. Um, when we pray, I think there are, there's a posture that the Lord responds to, and there's a, there's a posture he does not respond to. You see it all through Scripture. And the posture, the thing that the Lord will not turn away is a humble spirit. This is Elijah. Elijah has seen God do amazing things. And this isn't to speak to boldness or passion, but your posture in prayer matters. We shouldn't come to God, because uh, I think this is how some of us may come to God. Some of us may come to God like he owes us something. Some of us may come to God as if he owes you and I something. Some of us may come to God and act like he's a genie in a bottle. All of these postures are wrong postures. We can't come to God just thinking he is at our bidding. No, it is a humble spirit. And I can't, if you were to picture Elijah right now, he is as low as low can get to the ground. He wants to get smaller because he realizes that he cannot achieve what's about to happen. He, there is nothing in his power to make it rain. No, he realizes that he needs to get down and get face down between his face, between his knees before a big God to pray. If you look at um, James, 
Let's see. Let me go to James. I want to read this to you. Uh, James chapter 4 says this in verses uh, right here in 6 and then also in 10. It says, um, God opposes the proud and favors the humble. And if you go on to 10, he says, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Our posture when we go to pray. You, you want your prayers to, 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 to reach the throne room? You need to start by making less of yourself. Less of your will. Less of your desires and God, wanting God to just be your uh, whipping boy. And humble yourself. We live in a culture that is anything but humble. And so this is countercultural, okay? But you need to humble yourself. That's the very first quality I see here in Elijah's prayer. And we're going to read more about prayer here in a second in James. Number two, effective prayers are specific prayers. We keep on going down. He said, then he said to his servant, he's praying, and he says to his servant, go and look out towards the sea. And the servant went and looked, and then he returned to Elijah and said, I didn't see anything. Um, I think a lot of our prayers can be like lowercase prayers. Lowercase p, lowercase r, lowercase a, lowercase y. Because often um, we pray to God Um, as if he is not able to do anything. How many times have you heard this? Well, I've done everything else. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. You've done it. I've done it. I've done it. How many times in my own life have I gone to God last in prayer? You know why that is? Because I think I'm more capable than him. Hey, check yourself very quickly before you would say, no, that's not me. Well, look at your life. I think there are many, many circumstances where we think we are better gods than God. And can I just give you a 411? You make a terrible God. Yeah, no one will let you down more than you will. But he prays a very specific prayer and he's looking, he's looking for something. He's looking for God to do something. He's being very specific. We see also in James, uh, in chapter four, he says in verse two, you want what you don't have, so you scheme and kill to get it. What's that? I want control, okay? I'm gonna do it myself. And then it keeps saying, you are jealous of what others have, but you can't get it, so you fight and wage war to take it away from people. I'm going to make it happen on my own. Yet, watch this, you don't have what you want because you don't ask God for it. And even when you ask, you don't get it because your motivations are all wrong. We need to pray specific prayers and then check our motivations 
in the process. He's not looking for just like, hey, can you give me just, he's praying for a storm to come. Why do we know that? Because he's looking out towards the sea. He's looking for something specific. And I think our prayer lives need to be more specific. We need to humble ourselves. We need to be specific. And then number three, effective prayers are persistent. Look, look how many times this happens. Verse 43 says, then he said, go and look out towards the sea. The servant looked, said, I don't see anything. Seven times Elijah told him to go and look. I think many of us are guilty of this. Let's make it personal. What are you praying for right now? Who are you praying for? What are you praying for? Do you pray enough to know what you're praying for? Now I want you to think about those desires of your heart, those needs, those things, that person. How often are you praying for them? And how often does it become frustrating when things don't happen? I have prayed and prayed and prayed many a night. And Kirsten will tell you, we've prayed together many a night. Between Macy and McKinley, I cannot tell you how many prayers we prayed that God would figure out why we kept having miscarriages. And then we'd have another miscarriage. There is a developing and an understanding of God that is developed in persistence. There's something we understand about God better when we persist. And Elijah could have given up after a couple times. He could have given up after three, four, five, six times. Can you imagine praying? You're on top of this mountain. The, the, the victory has always been, already been there, and, but you're looking for God to respond and do what he said he was going to do. Make it rain. And it doesn't happen, and it doesn't happen. And we don't know how long this goes on, but we know he prayed several times, kept sending him back several times. But what I want you to understand is this. Elijah did not let the outward circumstances deter his inward assurance that God was going to do what he said he was going to do. He did not allow the outward circumstances to change his assurance that God is who he says he is. And that he'll do what he says he'll do. He continues, he's persistent. James 5, let me read this to you. James 5, starting in verse 13, it says, Are any of you suffering hardships? You should pray. Are any of you happy? You should sing praises. Are any of you sick? You should call for the elders of the church to come and pray over you, anointing you with oil in the name of the Lord. Such a prayer offered in faith will heal the sick and the Lord will make you well. And if you have committed any sins, you'll be forgiven. Watch this in verse 16. Confess your sins to each other and pray for each other so you may be healed. 
The earnest prayer of a righteous person has great power and produces wonderful results. I think there are times in our spiritual walks where we have prayed and we've prayed and we've asked and we've asked and we don't see anything happening and so we just lose our passion. And for some reason, we've tied God answering our prayers the way we want them answered to God's faithfulness. God is not beholden to you or your timeline. Oh, if I have learned anything in the last several years of my life, it has been that God is not on my timeline. And God sees things differently than I see them. And that is something you need to settle down in your heart. You know, James talks about Elijah right here in verse 17. Elijah, James chapter 5, verse 17. Elijah was as human as we are. And yet when he prayed earnestly that no rain would fall, none fell for three and a half years. Then when he prayed again, the sky sent down rain and the earth began to yield crops. James recognized one thing. You don't have to be a preacher for God to hear your prayers and respond. You don't have to be some mighty, uh, well-spoken, mature Christian even. Elijah was human like we are. And God responded to his prayers. Prayers have to be humble. They have to be specific. They need to be persistent. And I love this. Effective prayers are expectant. Everybody say expectant. Tap your neighbor. Say expectant. That didn't help. They're still asleep. Hit them again. (laughs) Harder. Okay. We see in this Elijah praying story tons of expectancy. Tons of expectancy. Look, even in verse 41, which is why we read this, then Elijah said to Ahab, go get something to eat and drink. Why? For I hear a mighty rainstorm coming. He hadn't even started praying yet. He hadn't even started praying yet. And he was already expecting that God was gonna do what God said he would do. Expectation. Look in 43. Go and look. He had him go back and look seven times. Why? Because he expected God to do something. Many of us are praying prayers and then not even looking for the answer. Many of us are praying prayers and not even looking for the answer. Look at 44. Finally, the seventh time. The number seven, always meaning completeness in Scripture. Elijah told him to go and look. The seventh time, his servants told him, I saw a little cloud about the size of a man's hand rising from the sea. Then Elijah shouted, 
Elijah was a Pentecostal. Did you know that? It says it right here. Elijah shouted. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) Elijah would be tore up if he was in here today. (laughs) Shoo-wee. Elijah shouted, hurry to Ahab, tell him, climb into your chariot, go back home. If you don't hurry, the rain's going to stop you. A couple things about this text. One, I think I can see from this text, I can imagine being Elijah's servant, okay? Imagine being Elijah's servant. You have now walked to the edge of this mountain, And looked over the sea now six times. Six times. Nothing. He asked me to go a seventh time. And I go and I look and I see a cloud about the size of a man's hand. And Elijah shouts and tells me to run and go say, hey, rain's coming. And I'm thinking... It's a cloud the size of a man's hand up over the sea. What are you talking about? Why are you shouting? It's because Elijah had expectation. Here's the other thing. I think I think many of us expect God to answer our prayers the way we see them. What do you mean? Well, if I was praying that a rainstorm would come, you know what, I, I'm, I'm, I'm going to be looking for black clouds to come flooding across the sky in thunder and lightning, you know, God-sized storm. That's what I'm expecting, right? And if I don't see exactly what I've told God he needs to deliver to me, then he hasn't answered my prayer. If Elijah's prayer tells us anything and how Elijah responds tells us anything, it's that Elijah is trained for this. He has seen God take a little tishbite and stand up against the king. A nobody. He has seen God take this widow and her son and feed them from nothing. He has seen a dead boy laying in his bed, no life in him at all, no breath in him at all, and and say a prayer and be obedient, and the boy comes back to life. So when he prays this prayer and he sees this small cloud, while it may not be everything he maybe envisioned, he knew that God was going to use it. He knew that God, he expected God to do something with it. As the band comes back up and we get ready to close, I want to finish the story here. Let's look at what it says. 45. And soon the sky was black with clouds. A heavy wind brought a terrific rainstorm, and Ahab had left quickly for Jezreel. Then the Lord gave special strength to Elijah. He tucked his cloak into his belt And he ran ahead of Ahab's chariot all the way to the entrance of Jezreel. A couple obvious observations. 
Um, Elijah wasn't a track runner. He was empowered by the Spirit, by God, to run faster than the chariot. Um, Have you ever seen any chariot movies? Anybody ever watch Ben-Hur? Yes! Charlton Heston. Chariots are fast, okay? You've probably got a couple horses, maybe more. And he's told Ahab to run. And can you imagine, can, can we just be imaginative for a second? You're riding in your chariot. I mean, you're probably booking it 40 miles an hour or so. And a bro with a tucked in cloak comes <laughs> running by you. I'm thinking two things. One, he's really got to go. Here's the other thing. Ahab watches him run by. Ahab has now seen the God he rejected make the land barren for three and a half years. He has seen God show up on the mountain. He has seen God um, work through Elijah in multiple ways. Now there's a rainstorm bearing down on him and Elijah has running ahead of him, I am thinking very clearly that God can do anything. There is nothing impossible for God. Let me repeat that. There is nothing impossible for God. There have been many a season that I have knelt by my bed, sat in the driver's seat of my truck, and had to repeat this phrase over and over and over again to myself. Nothing is impossible for him. When I came here, when I came here in 2017, and we had 25, 35 beautiful saints church in a downward trajectory. I mean, we, we were not headed in good places. There are even whispers of, you know, how long can we keep the doors open? And God kept whispering to my spirit, nothing is impossible for God. Now look, don't know the darkness of my soul or the wretch that he brought me from. But nothing's impossible for him. I've seen sick kids healed because nothing's impossible for him. I've seen people come from the hotels and come to this church and start greeting at the doors because nothing is impossible for God. I've seen my bank account be in the negative, but he provide a meal. Nothing 
is impossible for God. I've seen cancer healed. I've seen marriages restored. I've seen people come to know the Lord that I said would never come to know Him. Nothing is impossible. There's nothing too broken. There is no chasm too deep. There is no storm too strong. There is nothing that is impossible for God. And if that can impact your prayer life at all, I, I, I'm just hoping, I'm just encouraged by this word today that I can leave here and I can say a prayer and know that nothing is impossible for Him. And so my prayers should reflect that. My prayers should reflect a God that can do the impossible. I can restore every broken place who can save any soul. Think of the most evil person you know. Don't look to your left or right, okay? Just, just think about it. He can save them. I just read a story this morning of a, of a prison ministry. Um, it's in another state. I forget which state. But there's a story of a man who used to traffic young girls. He was busted. Got arrested. And now he's come to know the Lord in prison. And he'll probably serve the, a good portion of his life there in prison. But his testimony was this. There is no one who can understand the depths of darkness that I operated in for the majority of my life. But the Lord even found me there. So thankful to be in a church where you don't have to come here and pretend like everything's okay because we know one thing is true nothing is impossible for God nothing is impossible for God and as I pray today and as, they, as we get to worship as we leave let's do this let's do this there is something or someone that you are praying for today and you have not and God has not necessarily worked it out yet I want you to just go ahead and stand I want you to stand if there is a prayer request on your heart yeah and here's what we're going to do together we're just going to declare the God of the impossible is going to work it out Will you do that with me? Father, today, we come before your throne of grace humbly, knowing that there is nothing in us that is worthy, nothing in us that can do the things we see in front of us. But we come expecting you to do what you do best, and that is make the impossible possible. So, Lord, every request that's made known in this room, every, every heart, every dark place, we lay before you today asking, God, would you move? Would you work it out? Would you heal? 
Heal us physically. Every physical um, prayer request that is in this room right now, God, I ask that your Holy Spirit would begin to heal. For every broken heart, every inner emotional wound, Lord, I ask right now that your Holy Spirit would begin to heal and that they would leave here whole. God, I pray for that family member right now, Father, that does not know you, who doesn't know the grace and love that you offer. Lord, would you draw them to you? Let them feel your presence even today as we pray. And we say all of this, we pray all of this to the King of glory. To the creator of the universe. Because we know you can calm the seas. And we know the miraculous thing, Father, isn't that you... We're not discouraged, God, because you don't answer our prayers. We're, we're just astounded this morning that you would answer any of them. You don't have to. But we ask that you would respond. We're thankful. We're thankful. And we just declare in this place that you are the God of the impossible. Help us to pray more fervent prayer lives. Help us to be consistent in our prayers and not let our prayers hinge on the answer, but let our prayers hinge. Let our words and our thoughts hinge on who you are in declaring that. We're thankful today, Father, for what you're doing, what you're going to do give you all the praise for it in the mighty name of Jesus. Thanks for streaming this audio from Transformation Church RVA located in Richmond, Virginia. For more information, check out our website at www.transformationrva.com.